Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. there and welcome to another edition of Canadians in Old Time Radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance. And you can always check out our website at www.cotra.ca. Tonight for our Made in Canada segment, we're going to feature the Vancouver-born actor James Doohan before he traveled south to uh, play the role of Scotty in Star Trek. Here he is in the Radio Canada Playhouse presentation of The Long Night. Radio Canada Playhouse presents The Long Night, a story by Lowell D. Blanton, adapted by the Canadian writer George Salverson. Music by Morris Serden. With Douglas Master as the man in the bonanza and James Doohan as the man in the control tower. Here is The Long Night, adapted by George Salverson. Rockford Tower. Rockford Tower. This is Beechcraft Bonanza, N91457. Do you read? Over. Oh, come in, come in, Rockford. Rockford Tower. Rockford Tower, Beechcraft Bonanza, N91457. Do you read? Do you read? Over. Please, please, please come in, come in. Dear God, dear God in heaven, where am I? I didn't know he was out there, out where he shouldn't be. Another of the strangers. It closed in. The canopy of clouds and night. The soup of fog and smoke trapped under the clouds and pressed against the earth. And up there, all the strangers. The raucous voices of pilots in my speakers. For five hours, the strangers and I had fought out the air traffic battle. Rockford Tower. Rockford Tower. Rockford Tower. Go ahead with your message. Sorry, no altitudes available. Clearance, please. Request clearance, please. Sorry, unable account traffic. Request you expedite. Expedite, please. Sorry, cannot expedite account traffic. Weather, please. Expedite, please. Clearance, please. Rockford Towers. Rockford Towers. Million milers. The air had been alive with their chatter. Veterans stacked two miles high over Chicago, Milwaukee, South Bend. Wise old pros in orbit. Weighing the odds through cigarette smoke. 
And now, as the hands in the tower clock lifted to nine, traffic slowed. The voices diminished. The short conversations with people I had never met and would never meet again. I crossed the tower to the hot point and started the coffee. Jerry Stoddard, the O.C., came up the circular staircase and stood in the tower gloom, looking out at the murky lights of the airport, the huddled plane sheltering down there. He was just as short and twice as squat and three times as opinionated as in his pilot days. You can take it easy now, Bert. That's all? This is no night for the uncertain. Only the professionals will be out tonight. I give it two days. Exactly two days? I'm well acquainted with springtime weather in northern Illinois. At least two days. If you say so. Those are solid clouds, 2,700 feet thick. Yeah. Thick and solid with no breaks, no holes, no thin spots. Yeah, I know. I've been checking and broadcasting weather for 200 miles in all directions for five hours. Are you going to have coffee? The um, instant? Yeah, the instant. Instant's quicker, I grant you that. Instant may seem useful when you're hard-pressed. I grant it, I grant it. But I take a different view. Yeah, I know you do, Jerry. When I was a controller here, I waited for the real thing. The real thing has more bite, gets at those nerves, soothes them. Much better to wait for the real thing. You nervous? No, but you are. Huh? Something you want to watch, Bert. Not good to get nervy on a job like this. You get a slack spot like this, use the real thing. That's all coffee to me. Suit yourself? Sure. Uh, mix me a cup, Bert. <laughs> sure. I was telling the boy that at breakfast. <laughs> You're bugged on coffee, aren't you? Well, the boy's a bit nervy right now. Oh, Ronnie. Yes. Marge thinks he's too young to drink coffee. I took the view we should give him all the facts of the situation and let him decide for himself. What? About drinking coffee, you mean? That's right. How old is he now? Going on 13. Oh, you should see that kid pacing back and forth, trying to make up his mind. But I'm not going to help him. We have to learn to make our own decisions in this life. If we can't make decisions, we're nothing. Absolutely nothing. Here's your instant. Oh, thanks. How can a kid get so mixed up over whether or not to drink coffee? Oh, no, no. It isn't that. You see, this fellow from Interstate News asked the school principal to recommend a good, reliable boy uh, to be in charge of other boys in distributing magazines. He uh, recommended Ronnie. Sounds like a good job for the boy. I was a little surprised he picked Ronnie. He's pretty studious and quiet, you know. Reserved, shy, much too shy. Well, then the job will be good for him. If he takes it. That's up to him. He wanted me to help him decide. I said, no, son, no. I'm not going to help him. Why not? It's the shyness in him, for one thing. He's got to break through that for himself. He stands apart from other kids. He hates to come into a room full of people. It kills him to try to make friends. He's got to break through that. It's no use pushing him through. It's no use pushing him through, none at all. Well, if I may say so, that's a lot of baloney. <laughs> baloney? Maybe this is an important moment in his life. Maybe he'll turn down the job, not for any good reason, but just because he's too shy to take it. Then he'll go on missing opportunities all his life. He'll set his own pattern without any help from you. And heaven help him from then on. I say give him the big push. Kick him out of the nest. Help him through. <laughs> that sounds good. But you aren't a father, Bert. So I'm not a father. No. Mm. Coffee's not bad, Bert. Thanks. Not bad at all. Uh, no, sir. Only the real professionals will be up there tonight. Yeah. Patrick Tower. Patrick Tower. What's this? This is Beechcraft Bonanza. N91457. Do you read me? Do you read me? Over. What the devil? Better answer him. 
Bonanza 457, this is Rockford Tower. Read you loud and clear. Go ahead with your message. Hello, hello, Rockford. Bonanza 457. I've been homing on your range station, and apparently my automatic direction finder isn't working right. I departed Indianapolis on a direct flight to Minneapolis using my ADF, but something's wrong. Uh, I think I'm badly lost. Roger, 457. Stand by. The overflight's file. I'm checking. Is he there? No. No flight plan for him. Not here. Another stranger. Blundering from one range station to another. Putting blind faith in some electronic tubes. 457 Rockford. What was your last known position? Rockford 457. I, I think, uh, well, I don't know. I, I guess the last time I positively knew where I was, uh, that was when I departed Indianapolis. 457 Rockford. What time was that? About... 5.30, maybe 5.45. 4.57 Rockford, please verify that time. That would be more than three hours en route. You should be well out of my range. Yes, that's correct. I've been lost for over an hour, circling, trying to make the ADF work. I'm looking for Rockford. Oh, an amateur. Uh, yes, that's correct. He's burned an hour's fuel playing with an instrument he knows nothing about. 4.57 Rockford, what's your fuel state? 45 minutes. An hour, maybe. Give him 45 and pray for an hour. All right. 457 Rockford. The Rockford weather is solid overcast at 600. Visibility one mile in smoke and haze. Do you see any towns, rivers, highways that you can identify? Rockford? No, I can't. Uh, I can't see a thing but clouds. I'm on top. Whoops. Uh -oh. 457 Rockford. Did you say you were on top? That's right. On top of a solid layer. Oh, boy. I have been for a long time. 457 Rockford. At what altitude? I'm at, um, 5,000 indicated. About 1,000 above the clouds. Well, we heard that correctly. 2,700 feet of clouds. 457 Rockford. Are there any breaks in the overcast? Have you seen any holes? Any thin spots in your area at all? No. It's a solid layer. 457 Rockford. Are you an instrument pilot? Four five seven Rockford. I mean, are you a qualified instrument pilot? Do you have any instrument training? No, Rockford. No, I. I've never been an instrument in my life. I, I'm just lost. Four five seven Rockford. How did you get on top? Rockford. It was almost clear when I left Indianapolis. I climbed straight out to five thousand, and later, while fooling with the ADF, I found myself on top. It just happened. It just happened. 457 Rockford, are you familiar with range orientation? No, I, I don't know anything about that either. Oh, great. Uh, I'm, I'm just a businessman with a new airplane, an airplane for business trips. I have just enough flight inspection to get my private license. I know only enough about the radio to tune in the stations. Oh, great. Now, I know I'm lost, though, and I, I need help. These gas tanks aren't getting any fuller. 457 Rockford, all right. I understand. Stand by. I understood, but he didn't. He understood just one thing. He was lost and wanted help. I could understand that, too. It's hard for a desperate man to think ahead, to figure the angles, to recognize and understand the real problem. To me, the problem was clear, so real and clear that cold chills caressed my spine. 
and the dampness beginning under my shirt was cold and clammy. The idiot! Nobody forced him to get into an airplane. He hardly knows how to fly and takes off in a long night cross-country flight in weather suitable only for experienced professionals. I'd better make him understand. Yes, let him know. 457 Rockford, do you read? Over. Rockford, 457, loud and clear. Go ahead. 457 Rockford, before I try a fix on you, I want you to realize what the situation is. I'm sure I can find you. I'm reasonably sure that I can get you over the airport before you are out of fuel. I am not sure, though, that we can get you on the ground. Do you understand? No, I... I don't understand, Rockford. I'm lost. I'm about out of gas. I... I don't understand why we're wasting time talking about it. Get me over on the airport. Then we'll worry about getting on the ground. 457 Rockford. All right, but you'll understand this. It's my job to help find you. It's my job to help you find the airport. And I'll do everything I can to help you get on the ground. I've done a little flying myself, but I'm no instrument pilot. But this I do know. Flying that airplane through those clouds will be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. Do you understand that? Okay. I understand. What are we going to do? 457 Rockford. We're going to orient you by radio... Bring you in over the Rockford Airport. I will tell you what must be done, but the, de the decisions to do or not to do is entirely yours. I can't fly your airplane for you. I understand. 457 Rockford, good. Stand by. I'll set up the alert on the private phone. All facilities within 100 miles. Check. Clear all altitudes below 6,000. Get me the Chicago Control Center. I took up the portable microphone. I walked to the large wall chart. Out on the field below me, the lights glowed uneasily through the haze. There was no time for hesitation, but there at the map, I hesitated a moment. The man in the lost bonanza had gone ahead full of enthusiasm and ignorance. He was a fool among many, but there was no pleasure in knowing he realized it as I searched for a method of saving his life. I could find him, bring him home. How would that help? Then what? Should I try to get him down, then orient him? But what about his fuel? Must I bring him home at all? Why not get him through the clouds and then use what remained for a controlled force landing? On a highway or open field, even at night it wasn't necessarily fatal. No, I might lose radio contact. Then I'd lose airplane, pilot, everything. Bring him home. Get him close. Close for the showdown. Four five seven Rockford Tower. Do you read over? Rockford Tower. Four five seven. I read. Go ahead. Four five seven Rockford. Now I want you to listen very closely to my range signal. Put everything else out of your mind. Listen and describe exactly what you hear. Okay. Uh, four five seven Rockford. I think it it's strong, Rockford. Quite strong, I think. Four five seven Rockford. Describe the signal. Da dip. That's N quadrant, isn't that right? 457 Rockford, good. Now tune to Madison, Wisconsin range. And again, describe the signal. Do you know the frequency? Um, yes, yes, I, I'm getting it. it. It's coming in very weak. Barely readable. I think it's dip-da. Yes, it is, yes, dip-da. 
day, isn't it? 457 Rockford. Yes, that's fine. That's almost an on course. Just relax, Bonanza. We'll have you located soon now. I want you to turn now to the Peoria range. Can you do that? Yes, Rockford, just a moment. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't seem to think fast enough. I'm not sure of the frequency. It, it, it's here in the book, but I can't find it. 457 Rockford, take your time now. Take it easy. I'll give you the frequency. Just take it easy and we'll find you. All right, 457, stand by a moment. All set up, Bert. How's he doing? Nervous, but he came through the orientation without a bobble. Got him fixed? Yeah, at least I'm sure of his direction from me. Light me a cigarette. Oh, sure. 457 Rockford, you read, over. I'm here, Rockford. 457 Rockford, I want you to take up a northeast heading now and turn your volume down as low as you possibly can and still receive my radio, my range signal. At the very moment you detect a change in signal strength, either higher or lower, advise me. All right. Four five seven Rockford. What is it? My gauges, Rockford. My gauges. Four five seven. What about your gauges? What is your fuel state? They indicate empty tanks. There, there's some left. I know, but I have no idea how much. Do you know where I am? Oh, damn it! Four five seven Rockford. I'm quite sure of your direction from me, and I believe I know how far within, say, twenty miles. If what you've told me is true, I estimate you have thirty minutes of fuel remaining. I believe your gauges are indicating normally. Rockford, I... I don't want you to think I'm ungrateful, but... Oh, come on! I realize you can't afford mistakes, but... I... Oh. I can't last much longer. I... I'm not trying to hurry you, but... The gauges say empty, and my son is getting sick. What's that? Son? You didn't say anything about having a son aboard. Oh, damn him. 457 Rockford, how many passengers do you have aboard? Just my son. 457, is the air rough? Is there turbulence? You said your son's getting sick. No, no, no turb... No, the, the air is smooth. It, it's not the air. He's getting scared. It's making him sick. The boy, the boy is just a young fellow. Rockford, what's happening? 457, Rockford. You should now be approaching my west course, close into the station. Will you please listen carefully and describe any change in your signal? Come on, come on. The signal is much louder now. I, I'm getting more of a continuous tone in my headphones. Uh, although I can, I can still hear the other signal. 457 Rockford. All right, that's fine, that's good. Now, listen carefully. Turn your volume down a little more. And when you no longer hear that other signal, and when the continuous tone is loud and clear, and when you hear nothing but that continuous tone... At that time, I want you to turn right to a heading of 93 degrees magnetic. Is that clear? I, I think so. Uh, 457, don't you understand? When you hear nothing but a tone, when there's nothing but a loud buzz in your ears, I want you to turn right to 93 degrees on your compass. Do you understand me? Yes, I understand. Uh, turn right to 90, um, to 93 degrees on the compass... When I hear a loud tone. Is that correct? That is correct. The tone is strong now. I I don't 
hear the other signal. Nothing but the tune. Turn now. Four, five, seven, yes. Turn right. Turn to nine, three degrees and advise. Advise? Advise when on course. When on nine, three degrees. Advise. Roger. Uh, advise when on... I'm on course now. On 93. All right, 457. Stand by. Hey, where's that cigarette? Oh, sorry. Here. Here. 940, 20. Oh, come on, Bert. Light uh, up. All right. He'll be here any minute. Getting worked up won't make that airplane fly any faster. Yeah. Four, five, seven, Rockford. Go ahead. You are approaching the range, now almost over the station. The range is about two miles from where I'm sitting. The signal you hear will continue to increase in volume until you cross the range. At that time, it'll fade out quickly for a moment. Uh, you, you may hear nothing, but then it will increase again rapidly. Now, at the very instant your signal fades, I want you to make an immediate left turn to a heading of four, five degrees magnetic. Take that heading and advise. Understand? I understand. Roger, stand by. Time to alert the police and the crash crew. Rockford, Rockford, I'm over the range and starting a turn. It's just like you said. Roger, 457. Come left to 45. Straight and level. Hold it until I tell you different. I'll call you back. Is he in? Open the door and get out on the roof. Right. I hear him. He's up there. 946. Please, please, please. 457, you are now over the airport. I hear you clearly. Start a 360 turn immediately and orbit in your present area. Beginning a 360. For God's sakes, tell me what to do. This engine's ready to quit. Full-scale power approach, good and steady. What do you think? Wait. No, no, no. Uh, fuller power, slower. Trimmer, slow and steady. He might goof it up in the clouds. Yeah, yeah. Save fuel for a second try. 457, you are now circling the airport. I can hear you in the tower. Now listen, because there's no time to talk this out. Hey, Bert, what about chutes? Oh, good heavens. 457, do you have parachutes? No, no parachutes. All right. We'll have to do it this way. Listen to what I say. Don't talk, listen. Come around to a due west heading. Due west. As you do, start slowing her down. Slow her down and trim her up for a power approach. A normal power approach. Bring her around headed west. Power on. Slow her down. Flaps down to approach position. Trim her up. Make her steady. Advise when you are headed west and slow down. What's he waiting for? Can't he even fly the blasted thing? Rockford, I, I'm on 270 now. Slowing down. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. I know you don't know. All we can do is try. Okay, I, I'm down to 80 now. Flaps down. Power on. Roger, continue trimming her. Trim her down good. Adjust your power and trim until she's descending at a steady 500 per minute. 500 per minute. Trim her good. So good she'll let down at 500 per minute. Hands off. Do you get that? Hands off. Hands off. Yes. Yes, I understand. 457, stand by. 
Jerry, what do you think? Just what you think. Yeah. Bert, somehow make them realize. Hands off. Yeah. I wish I could be sitting behind him. 457 Rockford. 457 Rockford. Yes, yes. Now, 457. You are going to bring her around very slowly and precisely to an east heading. Let her continue descending at 500 per. Just bring her around slowly to the east, recover, then take your hands off the controls. When you are eastbound, hands off. She will descend slowly into the clouds. Let her do that. Leave her alone. After you are in the clouds, do not touch her. Do not touch the controls. Hands off. Hands off, 457. In the clouds, everything will change for you. You will think the airplane is all wrong, that it's doing everything it should not do. If you leave it alone, it will start a slow spiral to the left. But how can I keep my hands off? It won't be enough to do any harm until you have broken out. Whatever it does, you will think it's going to the right, or up, or down, even spinning. It won't be doing any of those things unless you make it do them. Don't touch it. Are you eastbound? I'm eastbound, yes, yes. Good, 457, good. Now, take your hands off those controls. All right. Hands off. In the tower, our eyes went to the clock, the long, narrow hand ticking off each death-slow second. Time, time. The hand was on its second trip around when it happened. Get off those controls. Take your hands off that wheel. Get off. Get off. Cut that throttle. Do you hear me? Cut that throttle. 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 What the devil's he doing? I've got the throttle closed. She's going down faster. I can't see. I, I, I can't see anything at all. He's going to stall, 457. Stall. Throttle. Give her throttle. Slowly, very slowly, give her throttle. Try to control the airspeed with your throttle. Just the throttle. Keep your hands off except the throttle. She'll climb out if you keep your hands off. See anything yet? No. Another minute. A minute. What's he doing? Rockford. Go ahead, 457. Rockford. Rockford, I'm, I'm back on top. Back on top. All right. All right, 457, listen. Maybe we have time for one more try. Let's try it with power off this time. No. It's no use. It's just no use. I can't do it. I, I was fine until we entered those clouds. I... Couldn't sit there and do nothing. I, I, I just couldn't. I, I know I can't do it again. Four, five, seven. Listen, there's time yet. No, no, no. Forget it. You're just wasting your time. Go on, Bert. Force him. Four, five, seven. Listen to me. Follow my instructions. Is it, Rockford? The engine's just quit. You can still try something. Oh, forget it. Forget it. You did the best you could. I, I can't do the rest. I, I can't do Thank you, Rockford. Thank you. 457, come in. Come in. 
cut off. After the waiting and after the police report and after the long watch ended, Jerry and I sat at midnight, silent in the terminal restaurant over untouched coffee. The coffee made me think of it. Well, better shove off, Bert. I was thinking, you're right about your boy, Ronnie. That's so? Well, let him decide for himself about that job. You can't help them. He can't get through that shyness on his own. What can you do to help? I don't know. Bonanza nearly made it. Nearly? You almost had him through. No, I think you were right about that, Bert. I think I'll go home and give the kid a push. Night. Night, Jerry. He trailed off through the terminal, looking smaller than usual and even less assured. And I sat for a long time, looking at the real thing, at the coffee in a restaurant mug. Long Night, a story by Lowell D. Blantham, adapted for radio by the Canadian writer George Salverson. Music was by Morris Serden, production by Sandy Stewart. In the cast were Douglas Master as the pilot of Bonanza, James Doohan as Bert, and Alan Pierce as Jerry. The sound effects, John Sliz. Radio Canada Playhouse is presented by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation through its international service. For our Canadians Abroad segment, we're going to stay with British Columbians and feature Raymond Burr, who was born in New Westminster. He is in Fort Laramie, playing Captain Lee Quince. The story is from January 22nd, 1956, and it's entitled Playing Indian. Captain Lee Quince, specially transcribed tales of the dark and tragic ground of the wild frontier, the saga of fighting men who rode the rim of empire, and the dramatic story of Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry.
Captain Quince. Sergeant, Sergeant Gorse, how are you? Oh, it's sure good to see you, Captain. You look kind of funny, though. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, them clothes, mufti. I ain't used to you out of uniform. I'll be back in uniform at midnight tonight, Sergeant. We'll stay in town till then. And you can buy me a drink. Me? But I thought you was going to get rich in St. Louis. <laughs> Did I say that? Well, you talked about nothing else before your leave come through. Just proves you shouldn't believe everything you hear, Sergeant. Yes, sir. I'll try to remember that. See that you do. And to really fool you, I may go back to St. Louis. With the Army? man can make money there, Sergeant. I don't mean gambling. I mean honestly. In an honest business. Buying things. Selling them. Well, sir, the Army's sure no place for a man who wants to get rich. I'll say that. The Army's no place for a man who wants to do any living at all. You're either turning black with the boredom of garrison, or you're riding hell-bent into nowhere. That's sure enough true, Captain. Well, come on, let's get our drink. How's B Company, Sergeant? Company's fine, sir. Major Daggett's going to be mighty glad to see you back at Fort Laramie. <laughs> he isn't going to see me till midnight. He'll be waiting up. Sent me into town to tell you. Oh? Huh? Something wrong? Yes, sir. Well, what? Arapahoes? They've been raiding for horses. Massacred a whole family over in the basin about ten days ago. You mean... You mean they jumped the reservation? Not the whole tribe. Just a few of them, I guess. Mr. Seibert's took B Company out last week, but he didn't have any luck. Why not? I don't know, Captain. I wasn't with him. What? I've been on sick list till two days ago. Sick list? You? Yes, sir. Uh, pack mule kicked me in the belly. Oh. Well, a little whiskey will cure that, Sergeant. <laughs> well, here we are. Mr. Seibert's is feeling mighty bad about it. Your belly? <laughs> like I said, it's good to have you back, Captain. <laughs> uh, bottle of rye and two glasses. Come in. Uh, the army. <laughs> hey, Moylan. Look at what came in. What's his trouble? <laughs> Hate soldiers, I guess. Like a lot of people. Since Richmond. Yeah. Too much war, maybe. I guess everybody liked to forget it now. We all like to forget it. There's a war still going on. You're right, sir. Who do they think stands between them and all the hostiles out there waiting to hack them to pieces? Who does all their dirty work for them? It isn't like people to be grateful for any favors, Sergeant. No, sir, I guess not. I think of the troops aching for home while they sweat and freeze and spill their blood all over the frontier for 50 cents a day. It makes me mad. Tell me about St. Louis, Captain. Here's your liquor, gentlemen. Hey, you! Hold it! You know them, Sergeant? No, sir. What's your trouble, mister? My name ain't mister. It's Rudio. 
I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to the soldier. I'm with the soldier. You stay out of this. You know what's good for you. You tell him, Moylan. What do you want from me? I never saw you before. Yeah. You won't want to see us again after we're through with you. What's this all about? We don't like soldiers drinking where we drink, mister. We like to teach them a lesson now and then. Don't we, Moylan? Yeah, we do it, too. Now, just shut up, mister. What's the matter with you? Coming in here with a soldier. Gonna drink with him, too. Rudio, I just guess that he ain't no better than no soldier himself. Just scum floating with scum. <laughs> That's what I call it. <laughs> well? Okay. Sergeant Gorse? Yes, sir. You can have more than there. Thank you, sir. Move out. <laughs> you that drink now, Captain Quince. You can buy the first one, Sergeant. Yes, sir. <laughs> You're half an hour late, Captain Quince. I was on the post at midnight, Major. I wanted to get back in the uniform before reporting. I'm glad of that, anyway. I kind of figured you would be. <laughs> you still think I'm too army, don't you, Lee? <laughs> We've known each other a long time, Major. Uh, since Vicksburg with Grant. Uh, I remember a night in Chattanooga you weren't very army. I've forgotten the girl's name, of course. Captain Quince, I trust Sergeant Gorse told you about the Arapaho trouble. Yeah. They're out raiding for horses. They've slaughtered a family over in the basin. It's got to be stopped. Settlers are beginning to wonder what the 2nd Cavalry's doing at Fort Laramie. If this goes on, there won't be any settlers. Hard enough homesteading this country without a man waiting for him and his family to be massacred by renegade Indians. I'll take a patrol out in a few days, have a look around. You'll take B Company out tomorrow morning. May I make a suggestion, Major Daggett? If it's in order. Lieutenant Seibert's took B Company out and found nothing. Sure, he's green, but a few Arapaho can hide easy from a whole troop of cavalry beating its way through this country. Give me 12 men. I'll scout those Indians, get them set up. Then I'll come back for the company. No. No, it's too slow. There isn't time. Better let me try it, sir. I said no, Captain. You haven't got very far your way, Major. You have your orders. Yes, sir. Oh, Captain. Yes, sir. I heard you and Sergeant Gorse were in a brawl earlier this evening in town. Conduct unbecoming an officer. You should learn to control your temper, Captain. 
I wonder what family the Arapahoes are putting the knife to tonight, Major Daggett. <sighs> I should never start this sort of thing with you. Thank you, Patrol. Yes, sir. Any further orders? May have Sergeant Gorse and Lieutenant Seibert's, but no other officers or non-commissioned officers. Right. Pass your men through the main gates of the post half hour before Reveille. Any questions? No, sir. Then move out. There's a cabin just over this rise, Captain Quince. Ah. Must be new, Mr. Seibert. Yes, sir. It is. A man and his family. He's, uh, he's raising horses. A man's a fool. There's just as good land a day's ride from the fort. You're right, sir. Am I, Mr. Seibert? Of course, sir. What if the man likes it out here, away from people? That make him a fool? No, sir. Then I'm wrong. I'm afraid I don't understand, sir. You agree too easily, Mr. Seibert's. Better learn to think for yourself. Yes, sir. Now, where's your cabin? Well, you'll see it in a minute, sir. There it... No. Look, it's been burned. Uh. Sergeant! Says the Rappahoes again, Captain. Yes, Captain. Look down there, Sergeant. Hmm. Well, the patrol out of scouts, Sergeant. A thousand yards between men. If there's any Indians around, I want to know it. The men will watch us at the cabin for arm signals. Right, sir. And then join Mr. Seibert's and me down there. Move out. Yes, sir. Follow me, Mr. Seibert's. every one of them. Man. Woman. Young boy. This the whole family, Mr. Seibert's? That's all of them, sir. Thank God for that. Every one of them scalped. Even the boy. Oh, at least they... They weren't tortured. No, sir. Tell me... Tell me, Mr. Seibert's... Was the... The other family like this? Why, yes, sir. I see. Made quite a mess, didn't they? Take a good look, Sergeant. How many horses did this man have, Mr. Seibert's? About ten, as I remember, sir. Hmm. 
Well, Sergeant? Funny thing. What is? Well, Captain, I don't know how them Arapahoes could have surprised them so fast. What makes you think they did? Not many arrows around. If a man had had a chance to put up any fight at all, there'd be a lot of arrows. Is that all? Yes, sir. You sure? Yes, sir. Sergeant Gorse, I excuse Mr. Seibert's because of his lack of experience. But you, you're a disgrace to the cavalry. Ought to clean your sleeve and send you back to stable detail. Yes, sir. Don't stand there, Gavin. Use your eyes. I'm looking. Look harder. There ain't no tracks. No tracks? Somebody dragged him out with a blanket. Somebody? Why do you say somebody, Sergeant? I don't know, sir. There's something wrong here. Look, how old's that boy, Sergeant? Maybe 12, 13. Old enough to be a brave in a couple of years if he was an Indian? Yes, sir. Don't Arapahoes usually keep a boy that age and try to make a warrior out of him? They always do. Now, wait. Them tracks, they wouldn't hide their tracks. No, they wouldn't. Captain. Yeah? Now I know why you got so mad. I'm pretty mad myself. Took you long enough. Mr. Seibertz. Yes, sir? A man wearing moccasins doesn't care about his tracks. He's got nothing to hide. Wasn't the Rappahoes did this. Wasn't Indians at all. It was white men. place is this, Captain? Oh, Jake Steele and his wife. Their daughter lives with them. Shouldn't their daughter live with them, sir? Ollie's 19, going on 20. She had some schooling back east. You mean she should be married now? This country needs women, Mr. Seibertz, but it doesn't need single women. Yes, sir. Mr. Seibertz. Yes, sir? Dismount and unsaddle. Dry the horses. Turn them into the corral yonder. Cache the saddles over in that brush so they can't be seen. All other equipment the men will keep. Yes, sir. Two men will stand by for escort duty. Move out. Yes, sir. Captain Quince, Miss Steele. Well, Captain, what are you and your troopers doing out here? I'll tell you if you ask me in. Oh, come in. Where's your family? Well, they rode over to the Abbott place. That's a long ride. We're spending the night. They'll be back tomorrow. Why? Is there trouble? No, not for you, Holly. And what are you doing here? I came to borrow your ranch. What? I need it for a few days, maybe maybe a week. Now, Captain... You I... and your folks can stay with the Abbots for a while. I'll send for you when I'm through here. You seem to have it all figured out. I have. Of course. Shall I leave right now, Captain Quince? 
sooner the better. I'm sending an escort with you. Oh, that's very kind of you. I can spare a couple of troopers. And you'll move in here? Sergeant Gorse and me. Wouldn't you like for me to stay and cook for you? No, no, no. You, you, you couldn't do that. Why? Don't you think I'm a good cook? <laughs> Maybe when this is over, I'll, I'll ride back sometime and find out. Captain Quince, just because you and I've met once or twice at Fort Laramie Dance. Just a minute, Miss Holly. You don't understand. Don't I? I should have explained. There's, there's going to be a fight here. Fight? I'm using this place for a trap, baiting it with a bunch of horses. And when the men I'm after come for them, well, we'll be waiting. What men? Men who've been stealing horses, murdering settler families, blaming it on the Arapahoes. You mean it? It's white men who've been doing that? I do. Captain Quince, I'm beginning to understand that being in the cavalry, you're accustomed to ordering people around and not explaining anything. I'm sorry, Holly, I, I upset you. Now, if you'll wait outside while I get some things together, I'll ride up to the Abbots with that escort you promised me. Good. Oh, Captain. Yes? I hope you have a chance someday to find out about my cooking. What I mean is, Good luck. Thank you, Holly. Go on, get out of here now. Well, it took me that long to do something. I'd get busted to a private. You can still get busted, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Mr. Syberts, right here, Captain. You'll take over the patrol, Mr. Syberts. I want you to spot the men in a complete circle around this place half a mile out. They're to dig in. And when they think they're hidden, I'm going to ride that circle. I understand, sir. Heaven help any trooper I can see. Yes, sir. They're to let those men through. But when they hear gunfire from the cabin here, they're to kill anything that tries to get back out. Any questions? No, sir. Move out. Yes, sir. Sergeant, you and I are going to be sitting on the pan of this trap. Like poisoned meat, huh? Maybe. Before we get off. have to do that, Sergeant. I didn't join the army to be locked up in this coop for three days. Maybe you'd rather be sitting outside with the real men, half buried, afraid to move with nothing but a canteen of water and a handful of jerky. And no smokes? And no smokes. Captain Quince, I never had it so good, sir. Then shut up. Dark out already? Good. Ain't the kind of men who'd attack even a woman in the daylight. No, I guess not. Gorse, you lied to me. Uh, what? No smokes. You tried to make me think you'd find it rough out there with the troopers because they can't smoke. Well? You never smoked in your life, you ape. 
Not with that quid of tobacco in your jaw day and night. What are you trying to give me? You need action too, Captain. Bad as I do. Yeah, I do. Three days of this is worse than a winter in garrison. You go to St. Louis, I'm going with you. That easy money sounds... Shh, wait, wait. Come here. What is it? Horses. Listen. We got him, Captain. We got him. Okay. Move fast. Get out the back window. Come up the off side of the cabin. But don't shoot till I get at least one of them inside here. Yes, sir. Good hunting, Captain. Same to you, Sergeant. Talk with you. Look out, Jim. You'll have a gun. Listen, mister. We ain't gonna hurt nobody. We got something to tell you is all. Let's fix them and get out of here, Jim. We're just passing by, mister. Got some news for you. Maybe there ain't nobody home. They wouldn't leave all them horses alone, would they? Uh, I, I'm coming in, mister. Don't shoot now. Have your daughter light the lamp, mister. Then we can talk. Next, mister. You okay, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Well, we got two of them anyway. I didn't realize there were more than that. He was holding their horses. Well, the troopers will take care of him. They deserve a little action, too. They sure do. Who are they, do you know? Strangers. The one inside dead? I didn't kill him. But you took an awful chance, Captain. It'll be worth it. Maybe we can find out what they did with all the horses they've stolen. Maybe we can take them back. Yes, sir. But, well, there's two families won't never get theirs. Hear that? Captain? Mission accomplished. No more women and kids dying hard. Feels kind of good, don't it, Captain? Don't it? Sergeant? Yes, sir? 
feels a whole lot better than making money in St. Louis. Fort Laramie is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and stars Raymond Burr as Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry, with Vic Perrin as Sergeant Gorse. The script was specially written for Fort Laramie by John Meston, with sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Dan Riss, and Joyce McCluskey, with Lawrence Dobkin, Clayton Post, Paul Duboff, and James Nusser. Company, attention. Dismiss. Join us again next week for another transcribed story of the Northwest Frontier and the troopers who fought under Lee Quince, Captain of Cavalry. That's it for this week. Hope you'll join me again next time. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.